Welcome back to episode four of the Scoop College Basketball Podcast. I am Austin Getchy from Hoop Scoop Media, joined by Dan Steenkamer. And we have a fun episode tonight. There's already been some good games tonight, highlighted by Virginia's win at Syracuse. I got a little scared there for Virginia, but they pulled it out. Also, want to shout out Chicago State because Brent Davis for Chicago State hit a game winner over to Siddell, which was his former team. So that's a good storyline to see. And hey, just shout out to Chicago State in general. They've been playing all over the country. They won at Coastal Carolina last week and played at Stanford like two days later, and they almost won that game. They were leading for most of it. So that's nice to see. But let's get into the real content here. But before we get started, just a few self-plugs. Uh, check out our website, hoopscoopmedia.com. We have some good articles lately on there. We just posted a new one today about the uh, most surprising team from each conference. It was part two. There was 16 teams per article. So the second one just came out recently. We also have some content going up on our Instagram, Twitter. Follow all those at Hoopscoop Media. We would really appreciate it and it helps us out. But now getting into the big content of the podcast, I don't know how we forgot to mention this last episode, but Mike Bray is retiring effective at the end of this season. It's definitely a big move for Notre Dame. He's been there for a while. What are your initial reactions on this move? Well, Mike Bray, the winningest coach at Notre Dame, certainly is, a, a, I, I want to say, a seismic move, but I guess Notre Dame doesn't necessarily fit the profile of such a high-level ACC basketball program anyway that it would be truly seismic in a way that Coach K's retirement was. I mean, certainly Bray, a worthy coach, a good coach, but not in the same breath as uh, Coach K. But I, I just say that because he's been a mainstay at Notre Dame. And so even when you consider the fact that there's been uh, certainly a segment or a majority of Notre Dame's basketball fan base has been disgruntled uh, with how things have shaken out this year. And Mike Bray, as he announced uh, that his, his impending retirement, he kind of owned up to that in a sense, uh, the way he was pretty upfront about uh, being unhappy with how things have gone this year and how he's kind of dis- unpleased with himself about how he's led the team or been able to engage the team. So certainly refreshing that a coach spoke that candidly. Uh, I guess not surprised once that coach makes himself uh, a season in which it's kind of his swan song here at the end. Uh, but Mike Bray, he's going to leave behind a job that has all kinds of potential. Of course, Notre Dame has, needless to say, ample institutional resources. Uh, certainly there are hurdles in place in terms of recruiting when you're getting kids into school there or trying to as compared to some other places in the country. But the ACC as a whole is a pretty uh, well-stocked league when it comes to uh, universities with pretty uh, strong ac- academic profiles. So I look at Notre Dame and the way its job fits in the landscape, and it should be one that's in high demand. So I'm looking forward to breaking down some of the candidates that you've uh, compiled here, Austin. Yeah, and talking a little more on uh, Bray's retirement, I wouldn't be surprised if it was kind of like the Notre Dame administration telling him to retire almost, kind of like a forced retirement. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if Bray was like also wanting that, like it's kind of came to end and just both agreed on that. This would be his last year coaching the Irish, but I mean, he's 63, he's 63. So among coaches who end up 
as the winningest coach in their program's history. I mean, there are plenty of coaches in that category who could coach closer to or into their 70s. Uh, but at the same time, being 63, certainly not an age where you would say, oh, that's kind of a seems like a premature retirement or anything like that necessarily. Uh, so I, I uh, kudos go to Notre Dame for kind of handling it. A certain, I mean, it, at least making it come across as certainly a situation that was pretty much mutually agreed upon. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame has really struggled this year. Bray, I kind of had the feeling that over the past few years, he's kind of wanted to be done almost. And even though he's a he's been a very good coach in Notre Dame, but I feel like it's not really a problem that it's not really that too big of an issue. It's it's not a bad time to make a move for Notre Dame. Kind of heading into like the like the new norms of college basketball is the NIL era, the transfer portal era. I don't know if that was Bray's strong suit per se, and not really where he wanted to go, but. They will have to hire someone else, which will come probably shortly after the season ends. And we have compiled a list of names that have been floated around by multiple people higher up in industry. But before that, I just want to mention um, regarding Notre Dame recruits in 2023, four-star Parker Fredrickson and three-star Brady Dunlap have both decommitted. They will most likely not be attending Notre Dame, although it's not unseen that once they hire a new coach, those recruits will be back on board. But those two have both been released from their letter of intent. Marcus Burton, who is other recruit, as far as we know, he is planning on staying. I guess if he decommits, that will be a topic on a future episode. But as of now, he is staying with the Irish so that brings the uh, who should they hire next? And Dan, I know obviously you're a big Delaware guy. So one name that has kind of been floated around, not not necessarily just this year, but like in previous years, like obviously Martin Inglesby, he obviously Bray was from Delaware originally, where he had tremendous success there. Inglesby was a Bray assistant and has been coaching at Delaware for a few years. What do you, I don't think he's the right hire, but what do you, obviously you have a lot more knowledge about this part of the situation. So what are your thoughts on that? Oh, around Delaware, certainly closest to UD, everyone in the area, Delaware has been paying a lot of attention to Mike Bray and his uh, jobs progress or the literally I, I mean to say the latter stages of Mike Bray's career at Notre Dame because the talk of the town has always been the obvious fit that you described uh, right right in that segment Martin Inglesby a Notre Dame basketball alum he played for Mike Bray prior to uh, serving under him as an assistant after getting his coaching career started at Wagner for a, a, a year or so so Martin Inglesby has a lot of love for Notre Dame uh, and and I definitely know he has a lot of love for Mike Bray. So, I mean, even in even in even in Delaware, the Blue Hens played a uh, little video message from Mike Bray once Coach Inglesby hit one of his winning mi- number of wins milestones in Newark. So those two are definitely have a tight connection. I don't know how Mike Bray. I don't know that Mike Bray ever necessarily handpicked Martin to be uh, or had an idea of Martin being a successor, because certainly Mike Bray has a coaching tree that goes well beyond Martin Inglesby. Uh, but Delaware Folks have had a certain amount of confidence that they be able to hold him 
an event in an A10 school who wasn't necessarily top flight, you know, came calling. But Notre Dame, if Notre Dame offered Coach Ingles to be the job, there's a lot, there's definitely a lot of reason to believe he would end up taking that. But to your point, I don't necessarily predict that they will. Uh, I know Martin Inglesby himself has joked around about he'd prefer to maybe be the guy who replaces the guy who replaces Mike Bryce, not necessarily walking directly into those those big shoes that, that Coach Inglesby sees and that he really grew up in as a player and as a younger coach. So uh, it, the, the connection makes all kinds of sense. I'm going to guess that Notre Dame gives uh, Inglesby the courtesy of an interview, you know, just to just to kind of just just because he's a, a very popular figure there in South Bend still. So I, I to, if there's some report about him talking to Notre Dame, uh, that would actually, you know, confirm my hunch rather than really be any kind of surprise. But I would actually be surprised if they followed through with a hire of him. Uh, he does have one CEA championship at Delaware, and that was just last March. Uh, he's been a really nice recruiter for Delaware, which, I mean, I could go on more, but and that's not really for a national podcast episode. But Delaware, really a football school historically. Martin Inglesby's recruited some really good basketball players in the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, Justin Mutz is in the ACC now at Virginia Tech. He started at Delaware. Uh, Andrew Carr is having a really good season for Wake Forest. And Martin Inglesby also recruited Andrew Carr as part of last season's uh, conference title team. So uh, he's a nearly good recruiter. I think Martin, I think Martin Inglesby would uh, have no trouble recruiting a Notre Dame, uh, that is to be sure. But uh, in terms of wins and losses as a head coach record, uh, the names that you go on to bring up, uh, Austin, I, I think are going to probably have the, the decided edge. Yeah, for sure. I think Inglesby definitely is a logical choice with the connections he has, but I don't think the uh, success he's had at Delaware warrants him being a huge candidate for Notre Dame job like he's been fine but like his career record is just like slightly over 500 like he hasn't been amazing like you just take a look at uh because obviously Bray was at Delaware and he went to two tournaments in his last season which they did not make it he still went 24 and 8 so he was definitely a bigger name at Delaware and Inglesby is a fine coach, but the only reason they should even like kind of take a look at him is because of the connections. I personally, yeah, I think they should give him an interview, but I don't think that's your first guy who you're extending a job offer to. No, so and that, and that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Totally. My one note, if we're going to compare Inglesby and Bray, Bray coached Delaware when it was in the America East. Uh, I think Martin Inglesby's CEA era teams have had a harder conference to go through on balance over true. the years. But still, Delaware is not a place that's historically been a back-to-back NCAA tournament. So it really did have its best years in men's basketball with Mike Bray. So there's no taking that away from him. That's just that's just one nitpick to make. Uh, it's not it's not exactly a clear-cut comparison between the two. But it, the, the conclusion is the same where Coach Inglesby would probably be maybe in your, your top five, but not not our hands-on favorite by any means. Mm-hmm. So another name that has really been taking the coaching world by storm this year has been Dusty May, who has been incredible at Florida Atlantic. They only have one loss to this point in the season. They're one of two teams, Purdue being another team with one loss at Florida Atlantic. But he does have some connections to area. He is an Indiana grad, worked with Bob Knight on his uh, staff as a GA. And another thing is, like, he's just such a hot name in coaching right now. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know if he'd want to move on from Florida Atlantic. They're bringing a lot of pieces back or have the opportunity to bring a lot of pieces back next year. But every school with an opening is going to want him. Do you have any thoughts on Dusty May? 
I think it's interesting. You bring up a, a, a good point about would he necessarily be itching to leave FAU? I mean, the location is ideal, I think, for most folks. You know, if you can win in Boca Raton, uh, you probably want to stay there a little while. A wonderful place uh, to, to live and work. But uh, you look at the year-over-year record. It's been impressive, the improvement over time with the Owls. A couple Conference USA quarterfinal appearances consecutively getting to the CBI last season. Now, this season really lightning in a bottle right and that's not just not to i mean i think that can in a vacuum sound like i'm minimizing it but really it's just i think the culmination of what's been built there uh the ties back to indiana that those those are interesting uh but i i, I just wonder if I, i'm sure there would be outreach by notre dame you know just to see kind of or further research and kind of see what his makeup is because obviously he wouldn't necessarily be the exact kind of familiar name that martin inglesby is uh not that they're the same kind of candidate but I don't know that he'd be looking to, I, I guess it'd be hard to turn down an ACC job coming out of Conference USA, right? But at the same time, do you necessarily want to, like, you couldn't, you could have yourself a mid major little mini power on your hands. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess. Mean, yeah, I think everyone eventually wants to move up, but I don't think this is, if I'm Dusty May, I don't want to move up next year, next season, because. R- if everything goes right, the Owls can bring back everyone except for Michael Forrest. And they're a very deep team. So that's a lot of people, a lot of very impact players that they're bringing back. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a hot transfer destination with the success they've had. So if I'm Dusty May, I'm eventually wanting a high major job. But I'd, I'd wait a few years. He really has something going and can even maybe boost his stock more than he has already with like a few good seasons instead of one just magical run yeah there's so. there's no doubt and there may be some power five ad's who want to see more than like you said one magical run i think that's what i was trying to to also speak on when it's like lightning in a bottle right like is that is that gonna be enough for every ad will that be enough for notre dame i'm, I'm not totally sure i think it would be actually for notre dame not every acc member but probably notre dame to have that interest or at least like i said do that further research but you said the transfer portal could bring FAU more players. I, I would worry, or I mean, you said it might be a destination, right? So I wonder about, you know, Dusty May, if 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 there's if there's any reporting or leaking that he's interviewing anywhere else, you could see leakage and other coaches say, hey, we're going to jump all over FAU guys and try to lure them into the portal. I mean, you know, that kind of tampering can be happening at any given time, really any time of year the, the way it is now, right? So I, I think, I don't mean to say FAU's success right now is tenuous and that Dusty May can't keep it going. But it's it's he kind of puts him in a tough spot professionally because he's suffering from success in some ways, possibly here in the next months into the offseason looking ahead, because if he has reports coming out about him speaking with not just Notre Dame, but any any given uh, larger uh, power school that, that I, I'm sure some other schools would smell some blood in the water with those existing FAU players and then say Dusty May returns to FAU, but he loses a couple guys. Then, then he might not ever put together the same kind of season he's had now. So I wonder your thoughts on that too. Like it, it just seems like a tough spot. Certainly a good problem to have, no doubt. But uh, intriguing uh, dynamics there. Yeah, personally, I don't really see any of the major rotation guys for FAU leaving with everything they built this year. But you never know, guys. You also get fished into the portal for NIL reasons. I guess I don't know if that's going to happen with any of those guys. We'll just have to wait and see what happens. Another name has been floated around as Chris Quinn. He is an NBA assistant. Personally, since he's not a college basketball coach, I don't know a ton about him. But NBA assistants have been, they've been hired in the past few years. Obviously, Kenny Payne 
And right now it's a disaster, but he was an NBA assistant with the Knicks. Um, Mike Woodson also with the Knicks has been pretty solid. Uh, obviously you look at that Heat staff that Quinn is on. Juwan Howard was hired a few years. There, you, people definitely have their opinions on him, but he's been a pretty solid coach, I guess. Personally, I don't know much about uh Chris Quinn, so. But I kind of well, trust um, that that Heat staff is pretty good, and that even though he he does have no head coaching experience, which is kind of concerning. But I do like uh like obviously Spolster is a good NBA coach, so I mean I don't really have any additional thoughts at Quinn, but he's definitely coming from a good uh foundation there in Miami. Yeah, the Heat, the Heat are a very well-run organization. So anybody with uh, Eric Spolstra's fingerprints on him and really all the way to the top with Riley there, that's a good sign. Uh, you look at Quinn, similarly to Martin Ingles, be a multi-year starter as a college player at Notre Dame, a two-time co-captain. So I, I definitely think the alum status helps grease the skids a little bit and helps maybe Notre Dame stomach the possibility that they'd have a first-time head coach on their hands. But um, it would be a change of pace because certainly Mike Bray, really an elder statesman, the fact that he was a head coach before at Delaware. And you, if you say they end up landing on Chris Quinn, it would be much different in terms of a uh, relatively younger guy. And at the same time, somebody who played in a game somewhat recently and coming right back for his first time as a head coach. So it definitely would uh, switch things up a bit. Uh, maybe it would be a move that helps cater to uh, recruiting today's youth, but I wouldn't rule. I wouldn't rule out the Quinn if he had if he really wanted to pursue it because that's another thing. I I haven't done a ton of looking into whether Chris Quinn's looking to get into the college game, but you would think for most guys that if they're alma mater called, that might be a little bit of a lore out of the NBA. Mm-hmm. Another name. This next one is probably my favorite one that I think Notre Dame should go for is Chris Holman from Ohio State. Obviously. Ohio State is not playing very well right now. The fans kind of want Holman out. Not really uh, rational, but a lot of fans, I mean, they're just, he hasn't had a ton of tournament success there, even though he's been a, he's been a good coach at Ohio State. Like when people wanted uh, Calipari out of Kentucky, he was one of the names like, oh, let's hire Chris Holman instead. But now Chris Holman is kind of getting that end of the deal where, like, I think it wouldn't be bad for him to just kind of jump to safety over at Notre Dame. His bio is not huge, and obviously he was a coach at Butler before, so he has ties to the area. But one thing that I think that could be a problem with this is Ohio State's 2023 recruiting class, which is stacked right now. It has Three top 50 guys already in Tyson Chapman, Scotty Middleton, and Devin Royal, which, like, who knows what happens with those guys if Holman were to leave. And they're also heavily in the mix for Bronny James, who is another highly rated recruit, but more than that, he's obviously the son of LeBron, so that's going to draw huge attention no matter how he plays in the court. So I think... Um, from I think Notre Dame would be happy with Holman. I don't think Ohio State fans would be too mad to see Holman go. Um, yeah, I like this. I really, really would like this hire. The only thing kind of holding me back is Ohio State's twenty twenty three class. 
and what would happen with that. And since like he has such a good future there with those incoming players. Now, the discussion of the Ohio State 23 class is very interesting to me because I could see most of those players, with the exception of Bronny, following Holtman to Notre Dame, hypothetically, assuming everything works out in terms of getting the uh, school range or anything like that. But for for Bronny, uh, his dad, obviously, is such an affinity for Ohio State and loves Ohio so much, being the Akron native, right? Like I, Yeah, Bronny definitely wouldn't go to Notre Dame. I I don't know if any of his other guys would, but... Bronny is zero percent chance that he even thinks about right. Well, like Bronny, the, Bronny is not really attached to Holtman. He's attached to Ohio State. Right. That's what I was getting at. Is that it's really more about Ohio State than than any individual and in that and coach included. So, uh, I and then we Bronny's a whole nother episode probably because I I found his top final three or top three pretty interesting. But getting back to Ohio State, looking at a uh, Holtman's record there certainly has made his fair share of NCAA tournament appearances. Hasn't gotten past around a thirty two though. Uh, and you know, so you don't have that sweet 16 appearance. Uh, last time Holtman was in the sweet 16 was with Butler there in 2016 17. So, a uh, little bit of a ceiling being hit at, at Ohio State. Not that that's truly Ohio State ceiling, Ohio State it, in theory is capable of hitting the sweet 16. Just maybe you're like you're saying, Austin fan base there feeling like a little bit just running into a wall. But I don't know that I like if I were a head coach already in the power five, already in the big 10, like. I'm not sure I would choose to leave Ohio State for Notre Dame. If he lost a job at Ohio State, then certainly would would be putting an application to uh, Notre Dame. But I, I, I can understand. I'm with you. I think Notre Dame, when, the way they view Chris Holman, would be as one of the higher-end candidates. Uh, that makes perfect sense to me. But I, if I were Chris Holman, I'm not like I'd, I'd be looking to make it work with the Buckeyes because I would feel pretty confident about being in play. I mean, obviously, you're in the final three for Bronny. I feel pretty confident about possibly having a good chance to make a final two if that ever gets cut down or, or be actually being the school that he winds up in. And then aside from Bronny, it's a really nice. You already talked about the overall class. So. I think Ohio State, when you look at, now I don't know if Chris Holtman's going to be coaching this far into the future, but the Big Ten is so clearly going to be that much better with USC and UCLA over the years. Uh, it just gonna seem, it seems like I would want to be in the Big Ten in, uh, as opposed to at Notre Dame, but um, I, I can understand why, why both sides could be attracted. Yeah. Um, so, yep, that is Chris Holtman. I think Notre Dame, he should be your number one choice. I think it would make sense, but. Obviously, like I said, there were some other things could be possibly holding me him back. But another name that is currently coaching in the Big Ten is Micah Shrewsbury of Penn State. He was a Purdue assistant until a few few years ago, uh, when obviously Penn State hired him. But I mean, I don't have any huge thoughts on this move. I think it's a good choice, but it probably w- would not be the first guy I would go for. I don't know if he's really wanting to make that move. I believe his son is committed to Penn State. Obviously, his son would fall into Notre Dame if he were to jump, but I don't know. I just don't really get a sense that Shrewsbury is looking to move anywhere right now, and I mean, he's definitely building Penn State into a solid program. I mean, they're right around the bubble-ish area right now. Um, no, I hear you on that. I mean, it does seem like Shrewsbury is just settling roots down there, right? I mean, at Penn State, just in his second season at the moment, he's already matched that win total from last season of uh, 14. So you would have to think that there's some, like I already made the argument that Ohio State being that 
massive, not just a Big Ten school, I should have specified this before, but like one of the most well-off athletic departments in the country. Like I just think there's kind of a bottom lit. Again, this is another metaphor that I'm kind of twisting in the wrong direction here, but there's just, I don't want to say bottomless because that makes it sound, that makes it sound like a bad thing, but there's really um, bottomless pits of money, you know, falling from the sky there. Not the Neurodame isn't, isn't also well-resourced, but I just think Penn State, obviously known as a football school, I was using that football school phrase earlier, but you just, they're going to really latch on to Shrewsbury if you can build a winner. Like if this is a 20 win season this year, he's going to have all kinds of momentum on the recruiting trail. Uh, that region of the country, it kind of doesn't necessarily have like a household name in basketball. Like I, I think about the Northeast, uh, my way, and you got the more obvious, you know, usual UConn has, has been a good name in the past, but really like in the East part of that big 10 wing, there isn't, there's there, Penn state could kind of assume a mantle there. So Shrewsbury, if he sticks around there, um, that makes sense for him to do. Uh, Notre Dame can certainly do a lot of due diligence on him. I, I think he's actually projects as being kind of the next i could see him being an ex chris holtman where we talk about him in the same way we just talked about chris two two minutes ago uh but just it feels a little a little bit early uh seeing as penn state's really that first power job he's had as a head coach but uh no knowing that he was at iu south bend before and butler he's a worthy name on this list it, it, it would be shame on i'm glad you put him in it'd be shame on us if we didn't have him yeah for sure another name that's kind of been thrown around from the nba ranks is sean sweeney who is a current Maverick assistant. Obviously, that is a pretty good coaching staff as well at the moment. Um, he is a big Notre Dame fan. He interviewed for an assistant position this year that he did not get, but um, I guess I don't, like with these NBA guys, I don't really know much about them, to be honest, so I don't really have any huge thoughts on this one. Like, he seems like a fine coach, probably wouldn't be my first choice, but would be a okay hire, I guess. I mean, yeah, yeah. You look at Sean Sweeney, he has ties to Jason Kidd, uh, obviously being there with Dallas, but also following him along with uh, Milwaukee and Brooklyn there in, in the NBA. Uh, getting to the college career, yeah, I mean, it's a little more of that lower level college experience, video coordinator at UNI. Uh, so that's kind of like, shoot, we're talking about a video coordinator at one college stop, and now all of a sudden talking about that head coach uh, name being tossed around. But uh, UNI's I mean, I know being VC isn't necessarily like it, how much do you like weigh that into your particular college stop, but UNI is a good program uh, in the heartland middle of the country. Um, it's from St. Paul, Minnesota, so certainly is lives in and in, in, uh, breathes in that area of of the uh, country. But yeah, it's just it feels like you're a little bit of a reach in some ways because uh, I, I can even see there's a lot of room for him to grow just in, as an NBA coaching career, let alone worrying about college and all the nuances and specifics that go into that. So. Uh, I certainly would expect uh, Sweeney to whoever is actually hired as Notre Dame's head coach. I'd be a little surprised if it's him. It's actually him. But if there's say say it's whoever say it's Chris Holtman, I would be very surprised if Sean Sweeney didn't try to get land the you know an assistant spot for Chris Holtman. Say so. I just think that Sean Sweeney. It's one of those is a little early, but he's going to be attached to Notre Dame. I think in some way in his career before it's all said and done. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, I mentioned that he's a huge Notre Dame fan. He obviously really wants a job over any other job in the country if he were to dive into uh, college basketball coaching. But yeah, I think he would be a good assistant hire. I don't think his experience really warrants him being hired as a college basketball head coach right now. But possibly, I mean, down the road, I guess we'll just see how this shapes out. Another name, I don't really want to touch on this for too long, but Greg McDermott, 
has also been kind of floated around there in some some of these articles, like just uh, talking about some possible candidates. As a Creighton fan, I haven't sensed like uh, any major concerns through the fan base that like Notre Dame's going to get him. McDermott was offered the Ohio State job and uh, declined it. That was when Chris Holman got hired there. Um, I think some people are kind of thinking like this would be his parachute option because Creighton had been struggling, but now Creighton is playing like the top five to ten team. Everyone thought they'd be so. I really don't see uh, McDermott doing this. The only reason if Notre Dame, I mean Notre Dame, I don't even know if Notre Dame really like would love him because obviously he's a great coach, but he's kind of like you bring him in for five years and then he's like five ten years he'll retire. So he wouldn't be a long term solution like maybe uh, like someone like Chris Quinn could be. Yeah, that's a good point is when you already have one coach, you're, you're, the reason you're in a head coaching search to begin with is because your current coach is retiring, right? So you're not necessarily, not not to, obviously you don't want to veer into like anything ageism wise, but it's just a matter of practicality, right? Like it, it, you're not necessarily uh, geared toward finding somebody who's looking for his last stop or his last ride as a head coach. Now, certainly Notre Dame's in a position at the same time where it, it can feel like it can be competitive in a quick amount of time. And maybe you're not, maybe you would for the right candidate, uh, I end up hiring somebody who don't necessarily expect to be there beyond, you know, that four or five years or more. But turning it to Creighton again, I, I if Creighton, if this were many years ago now and Creighton were still in the MVC, I, I, I think it could be a different discussion. But how like it's actually kind of I do in doing some research, you know, as we're going about Creighton, like it's kind of impressive. Well, it, not just kind of it is impressive how far Blue Jays have come really undisputed uh, high end members of the Big East, uh, really perennially in the thick of things. Like, I really don't think Creighton is, I, I don't think, I think Notre Dame and Creighton is almost a lateral move in terms of how, well, Creighton how much... is like Creighton is a basketball school. Like Notre Dame yeah. is not. So right. I, I, right. I mean, I don't think McDermott really has much interest at the right. moment. Yeah. So, I think that, that name was just tossed how far you can advance is, is, yeah. is about the same, if not more, more in favor of Creighton. Yeah. That name was just tossed around her. So I thought I'd throw it in. And there are also some other names being tossed around that were, not going to hit on, but unless you had any names that you'd, do you have any other names that you'd want? Well, to of talk course, about? you 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 got Martin Ingles being at the very top, so 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 no, so no, no. no. I, I was going to make sure. Obviously, we spoke about him because you got Creighton in, I got Delver in. I'm happy. Yeah. So, and the thing is, like, I we don't really have a sense for like that. There's some lead candidates here. Obviously, that will uh shape up in the future, but. For now, I guess we'll just see and watch as this plays out. So that's enough talk about Mike Bray. So there are just a quick uh, recruiting recap. Um, four-star shooting guard Elijah Morris committed to Syracuse in 2024. This is a little bit interesting to me because I don't think Jim Beheim will be there at that point or will definitely not be around for his whole college career for sure. So that's a little interesting. Um, I, you obviously uh, bring up that Syracuse has a, uh, uh, Gary McNamara, Jerry McNamara, whatever, um, on staff that they could elevate. That's been uh, kind of floated around that he could be the full time coach there. I don't know what's happening with this. I'm not gonna sit in it for too long. That's a discussion for a later points. 
Um, Three-star Braden Pierce, big man, has committed to Maryland in 2023. Solid pickup. Um, Juco guard Coron Davis um, from Los Angeles Southwest committed to Louisville. I thought I'd just throw this in because I thought it was a little interesting that Louisville picked up this guy who nobody had ever heard of until like a week ago. Like I'm, he's his JUCO is actually good, but like Los Angeles, California, those JUCOs are not to level certainly of JUCOs in other areas in the country. Um, I mean, he put up good stats, but I couldn't find it. He had like any other offers or anywhere. So I mean, uh, maybe they found like this guy out of nowhere. But given the state of the program this year, I wouldn't. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, Maybe they're just like that far downhill now. Well, I I can understand why Louisville would feel the need to get creative, right? Like I, their image is taking a huge hit. I mean, I go back to even the whole 2013 national title vacation. Like this is this is completely different. Like this is obviously just on the court erosion. Uh, they've been a meme this season as far back as I can remember, very early in the year. So uh, I I feel for everybody uh, in the Ville. But I do think that they need to have I don't know if aggression is the right word for it in, in recruiting in this way, but you have to pretty much set aside all those all those doubts about you know perception and how's how's it's gonna look like bringing a Juca right into the power five and just say we we need to get guys who are gonna just be happy to be an ACC school and, and have a clean slate because that's what Louisville I think wants to experience is a complete do-over. Yeah, obviously Louisville has had some highly ranked JUCO guys the last few years. Such as L. Ellis, who was like the best uh, Juku guy in the nation. They got a commitment from J. Scrub, who ultimately went to the NBA instead of Louisville. But I just find it's interesting that this guy just came out of nowhere. Like he didn't have any other offers that were uh, documented. So it's just a little interesting. But a fun fact he is the cousin of FAU star Janelle Davis. I'm not implying that. He's going to transfer to Louisville. Just wanted to throw it in as a fun fact. He would be really stupid if he decided to transfer to Louisville. <laughs> Some more coaching news. Green Bay has fired Will Ryan after two and a half seasons. It has been a dumpster fire in Green Bay under Will Ryan. I don't know why they fired Link Darner in the first place. That was a terrible move. And the hire just never made sense in the first place. I guess you have any like thoughts on this coaching situation? Well, I well, I guess credit once again. I'm having a hard time finding the words tonight because it, some of these situations, it's just this is a no brainer, I guess, to do uh, pull the trigger on for Green Bay. Now, maybe it's a little bit short of a no brainer because in season, you always once you once you make an in season change, I, I feel like especially in college basketball, uh, that's something that really will raise a lot of eyebrows. But you look at Green Bay, literally. I say literally second to last uh, Ken Palm ranked team at the moment, only ahead of LIU. Uh, and I think Green Bay, if they, after, even after the coaching change, they could be at risk of falling to the, that very last spot, Division One in Ken Palm. And then you take a closer look at the Horizon League stats. I mean, it's the worst offense in the Horizon at 58.4 points scored per game. It's the only offense in the league averaging under 60 a game. Uh, that, that basically applies to defense as well. They're second to worst defense, uh, worst scoring margin in the conference when all is said and done there. Uh, they don't do well in turnovers or assists. Uh, turnover margins last in the league. Assist-to-turnover ratio is second to last. So 
really all the team stats, those counting stats belie such a poor overall record. The year-over-year results, as you're talking about, or we're hinting at, not good as well. And this season has been an utter disappointment uh, or just an absolute lack of, you can't even say consistency because if it's been consistently poor, the top score individually, uh, Myers averaging just over 11 a game. So that's not, that's not really, that's not really making anybody write home about either. So for Green Bay, uh, just give up the ghost with this in-season change. Uh, they're still ranking in the middle of the pack or just in the up, just inside the upper half of the horizon in attendance. So it's not as if people, you know, supporters of the program are completely disengaged or anything like that. Uh, there's a product here. I think Green Bay, obviously, it's gonna, you can't recruit everybody to Green Bay. Not not, not everybody's going to want to go to school in Green Bay, Wisconsin. But there's still a certain amount of talent in the in the like we talk about the Midwest throughout the episode. So. I'm looking forward to seeing what direction Green Bay moves in because somebody is going to be this next hire is going to be somebody who I think needs to have experience with a turnaround. And when I say turnaround, I mean like a Pat, like I'll bring up the CA, like like a Pat Scary kind of turnaround at Towson, where Towson was one of those laughing stocks of all Division One, and now Towson is regularly in the top half of the CA. So that it's somebody like that, somebody like Scary who has shown uh, ability to get the hands in the dirt and pull somebody out of out of uh, the ground. Yeah, looking at this move, like it just continues to baffle me why Green Bay decided to fire Link Darner. Like he was he was winning there. Like he made it one tournament and he was consistently finishing in like the top half of the horizon. Um and then they just fired him for uh Bob Ryan's son who had one year of D two coaching experience, which was mediocre. And I mean, uh, Ryan had a, he had an okay first year, but that was just because he had uh, Darner's leftovers and players like um, PJ Pipes, who I know you have spoken to in the past, and you like players like Amari Davis, Josh Jefferson, who all have excelled their. Uh, they all decided to transfer after one year uh, of Ryan's coaching, but this that move will just never make sense to me. I think they should hire Darner back. Obviously, I don't think that's going to happen because you had to think they uh, fired him. They weren't happy with him for some reason, but then they never should have fired him in the first place. That was a huge mistake. But yeah, it's easy it, once you do a little bit of winning. I mean, Darner ninety two and ninety two and eighty uh, in his five seasons, a winning record in four of those years. I I guess there was a little bit of a sense that UAW Green Bay felt like it could move up a bit. And in the proverbial ranks, you know, just I get I'm not sure. Like, it's hard to picture it now in hindsight being so clear. I mean, your point, it's hard to argue what you're saying. Uh, but I, I do know that some mid-majors can fall in that, into that temptation of, OK, this guy's got us as far as he's going to get us, we think. And we actually think we're, we're we're the smartest people in the room at the very top of the athletic department. And so we're going to make it the next, you know, not just hit a double. We're going to hit a home run with the next hire. So that this, this is kind of one of those cautionary tales, uh, no doubt about it. Yeah, well, Green Bay is number 362 team in the country on Ken Palm. There's no need to talk about them for any longer than uh, we have. We will touch on them when they eventually are a new coach, but we will cover all the coaching hires and fires that happen this offseason. So let's get into the actual game action that's happened. So the SEC Big 12 Challenge happened this weekend on Saturday and yielded some interesting results. The uh, most shocking result was Oklahoma just killed Alabama. Um, I don't, 
honestly, I am not worried about Alabama after this game. Oklahoma shot the lights out. They went 9 of 13 from 3, which Alabama has been one of the best teams in the country at defending the three ball this year. So, and it, it was a home game for Oklahoma, so they definitely had all that momentum. Like, I think it's just one of those flu games that that'll happen. Like, Oklahoma's not an untalented team. Um, obviously, Alabama has a lot of young guys. This stuff will just happen. Do you have any major thoughts, concerns about the situation? Well, I think we've held off on sounding the alarm on a lot of these ranked teams who have fallen. It's kind of remarkable since we started up the show. It's good timing because we've seen so many highly ranked AP uh, top 25 members collapse against unranked teams. But this wasn't a collapse. This was just Oklahoma. This game was over at halftime. I mean, 50 to 33 at the half was stunning to me. I mean, I I was close to picking Alabama as my when we had a discussion a couple episodes back about, you know, who's the number one team in the country. I went with Houston and they wind up losing the temple. And I'm like, well, shoot, I should have gone with Alabama. And now Oklahoma's making me say, oh, well, at this point, it's just we maybe we should have had more candidates to look at for best team in the country, because without overreacting to one game. And I know Oklahoma had probably the best shooting day it's going to have all season. And you have two players for Oklahoma who score uh, over 25 including uh, Grant Sherfield, who had 30 on the day. The senior had a career day. Uh, he was really he doubled his, his average or thereabouts. Uh, I, I worry a bit about, I, I guess you could try to chalk it up to, well, you, you stepped out of conference in the middle of the year. You know, you're playing a school you don't play in the SEC. And to have a non-conference opponent in the middle of your season, that you don't have the same kind of scouting report or familiarity as you do with your SEC opponents. But I worry a bit about, that defensive day, I mean, I know Oklahoma gets the credit for shooting so well, uh, and that really, other pro, in prior wins are really all the way dating back to a win over Mississippi State. Alabama had been holding opponents under 70 points. So it, probably a situation where you do need to just let, flush that one away, but I I'm, I guess my long rambling way of going about this is I'm going to have a hard time getting this out of my memory you know, in terms of Alabama's resume because I, I could see a loss in this spot, but by that margin... They didn't. They didn't really. They cut into deficit a bit in the second half, but the game was decided. Like I, I did not see it turn, shaking out this way in terms of an absolutely sooner heyday, just making all kinds of separation before halftime. So, uh, a credit to Oklahoma. I guess that's a team that if it gets enough wins in the Big Twelve tournament, you know, I guess NIT at large is in play because it's such a huge win. I don't know Oklahoma's resume uh, that well overall. Uh, I know they had that loss to Sam Houston from the season opener, and now to see Oklahoma redeem itself in this way is uh, it, that was a big surprise to me. I have to I have to be straight up with you. Yeah, it was definitely an alarming result, but I'm yeah the thing I'm not really concerned about Alabama is because their defense has been so good this year. Oklahoma just had an amazing shooting night that is not typically what we've seen from teams playing Alabama this year. So I'm just chalking it up as a fluke. It's definitely interesting that it was by so many points, but. At the end of the day, it's not something that concerns me a ton. And going back to Oklahoma's resume, they are now 4-7 and in Q1 with, obviously, they Q1 win over Alabama. They also beat West Virginia at Texas Tech and Florida Neutral, which are their other Q1 wins. So, decent resume. The only win that really sticks out is the Alabama one. So, I'm thinking NIT for the Sooners, but if they want to make a tournament run and 
or run two to tournament. This game is a good uh, kickstart for that. But yeah, it really on, is a good launch pad. It it is, and Alabama's defense to make that last point on it. It's the number six defense in Ken Palm. Uh, they trail a bunch of really notable schools like Houston and St. Mary's and Tennessee in that category. So Alabama's body of work, like you're talking about, says to hold the course, hold the course with the Crimson Tide. Yeah, moving on, Kansas uh, won at Kentucky. The Jayhawks came into this game losing three in a row. They had never lost four in a row in the Bill Self tenure. Um, Obviously, they beat Kentucky. Jalen Wilson was amazing. I know Zach Eady is like the runaway for player of the year this year, and rightfully so because he's, he's continued to be so amazing. We'll touch on him a little later in this episode. But Jalen Wilson, that should not take anything away from how good Jalen Wilson has been. He was amazing. He had some huge shots down the stretch that won the game. And another note that I have is, like, I was really concerned going into the game about how Kansas's big man would handle Oscar in the paint because Oscar, I mean, Kansas doesn't have, like, the David McCormick that they had last year. Obviously, KJ Adams is a really good player, but like he's not like a huge, towering big man. But he held his own, and yeah, he played a uh, he did solid defensively. Played a great game offensively, and really just uh, let people know that he was he is the real deal, and uh, he can definitely help Kansas go another run this season. Um, and I also got some like solid mints out of guys like Ernest Uday. And Juby Geofor before uh, Geofor uh, got hurt. And another note that I have is that Zach Clements on Kansas is definitely entering a transfer portal after the season. There were some talks that like he might be the starting center because that role was kind of up for grabs. He has like hardly played at all this year. He's definitely out there at the end of the season. He did not play at all in that game. But what are your uh, reactions about the game? Take a look at team stats in this one, Kansas. Uh, you talk about, you know, a qu- maybe a bit of a question mark about how, how they handle Kentucky's size, but they out-rebound the Wildcats 34-29 to on the day, including 8-4 to on the offensive glass. So uh, that's a good day for Kansas. They show up on the road, and they're prepared to get to work on the boards. Certainly, they benefited from uh, Kentucky shooting 2-for-13 from three-point land, and that really – brought down what would have otherwise been a pretty strong overall day shooting for the Wildcats there at that 49% field goal percentage of the team. That would have been higher uh, had they been anywhere near a uh, decent on three-point shooting. Uh, but each team, this was a well-contested this was a well contested game. Each team is moving the ball. Uh, Kansas just really asserted itself as the favorite who should win and did win. Uh, it was just such a much-needed victory. This is a game that I could have seen Kentucky pulling an upset in on its home floor had Kansas not been reeling and been in dire need of a win. Uh, but the Jayhawks with it, their back against the wall, right? Like their collective backs against the wall. It was going to be hard to picture uh, Kentucky springing and one over them. I mean, to, to have losses against uh, three straight ranked opponents in the big 12, I'm sure Kansas was actually pretty happy to end up with Kentucky and get a, get a break from all those big 12 guys before you end up right back in the thick of things with Kansas state. Like I know Kentucky's, a huge name, but it's just not the same. Like if you put Kentucky in the Big Twelve this year, and I, I don't know that they would be. I mean, where do you think they would finish, Austin, in the Big Twelve? If Kansas, if not Kansas, if Kentucky were in the Big Twelve this season, um, like seventh, and because there's yeah, that's uh, what I was six, gonna say. Yeah. There's six like dominant teams, 
And I don't think Kentucky is better than, obviously they're not better than Kansas as was shown. <laughs> they're not better than uh, Baylor, Texas, TCU, Iowa State, or K-State. Right. So, right. Like, so that's so, yeah. so when I think about it that way, the, it, this, this game played out exactly as it needed to for Kansas. I uh, can go ahead and focus on getting some revenge on Kansas State. So that once again, Kansas State, Kansas could have gotten one standalone episode the first time these two played. So I am so glad that we are getting it uh, in short order this week again. Yeah. We will obviously touch on that in the uh, later portion of our podcast but moving on in the big 12 sec challenge results tennessee they just kind of took care of texas at home like in the second half that game was never really close they kind of just controlled the game and they i'm still not sure if i'm like truly buying tennessee as a championship contender because they don't really have a go-to guy obviously zakai ziggler has been pretty good but he's also like 510 or something he's just, I just don't know if I see him as like a huge go-to guy like in March like when you need a bucket but Tennessee that shouldn't take away from Tennessee who is currently uh, after this weekend results has moved to number one team in the country on Ken Palm um, that was just a great game from them they really uh stopped they really just stopped Texas from shooting well, especially in Marcus Carr. Um Tennessee played amazing too, shot almost seventy percent from inside the arc. Olivier Olivier uh, Nikamwa, he shot twelve of fifteen. Uh Ziggler had double double. Um yeah, just a dominant performance by D Vols. I'm a little more uh, well, okay. I'm gonna get my stock market. I bullish would be the word to use, right? If I'm thinking I'm I'm embracing them as a candidate, I gotta get my I gotta get my facts straight on that one. But I I am I'm gonna be all over Tennessee. That I I haven't been exactly that high on Texas this season, so I probably like am blowing this win out of proportion. But uh, just, just Ziggler and Wamka, how they played to have the combined 49 points between the two of them. Uh, that's the kind of offense when you pair that with the number one adjusted defensive efficiency in Kempom that the Vols boast that, that, that this set, this, this max, like at least elite eight to me. Like I feel very good about that, but uh, Tennessee is going to, I'm looking forward to really the latter stages of the sec uh, slate for him. Uh, I guess the sec tournament, even more in particular, uh, but you, you do get a game against Alabama. You got you still both games against Auburn are coming up for Tennessee. In fact, one of those games against Auburn is uh, in early February, but uh, Tennessee, it's, it's, if it's an SEC champ in particular, can get a really nice seed in the bracket uh, and to get a chance against a good Big 12 school in the SEC Big 12 Challenge in Texas uh, and really leave no doubt. Once again, it's another one of those games that was pretty well in hand at halftime. Not not out of control to the point where Texas couldn't find a way back into the game, but really Tennessee never too, too threatened uh, and that's why I think it was one of those performances that I think gives a lot of elite eight level confidence. Yeah, for sure. And a lot, of, I think I feel like a lot of the reason why I don't love Tennessee as like a national title contender is because Rick Barnes hasn't had nearly the success in the tournament as some of these other high profile coaches are leading top teams in the country this year. 
So I think that's just uh, my issue there. Thing though Another... is, we just saw Alabama. We just saw Alabama. Not to interrupt you, but we just saw Alabama lose to Oklahoma like out of nowhere. Like Oklahoma is like a first weekend or a second weekend team. Not not first weekend the way CD would shake out, but definitely that's like losing in the round of thirty-two. So any of these top teams, we've seen Houston lose. We've seen Oklahoma lose. Uh, not Oklahoma. We've seen Bama lose to Oklahoma. Uh, who else have we we've seen Gonzaga lose? Although we never really saw. Am I missing somebody? I am. I'm missing Kansas losing. So. I just at some point, like I get why Ken Fong has Tennessee at that top spot because I, their their resume is very strong, and I I just don't know that there's a runaway dogs at the very top. So I actually, while I understand your hesitation about Tennessee with its tournament history, this is might be one of those years where everybody's a little bit vulnerable. So you're, even if you don't have that track record track record of postseason success, you might you might find a way to it this year. Yeah, Tennessee has definitely uh, earned and deserved uh, to the point, Dave. Gone so far. I just have a little concern on how they will end up finishing. But moving on, a um, Mississippi State beat TCU in overtime. Um, if I'm a TCU fan, I'm not concerned about the result of the game. I'm more concerned about Mike Miles getting injured in the game. Uh, the reports came back that he hyperextended his knee, and the MRI came back clean. So Miles will not be out for the season. I'm unsure about his exact timetable, but I mean, I don't really care about the result of the game. Miles didn't really play much. Eddie Lampkin was out uh, the whole game with the injury he sustained a few games back. Um, and Mississippi State, they've been kind of falling off a cliff before this. They still don't make tournament, but... You still kind of have to give credit to the job Chris James has done in year one in Stark Vegas. Stark Vegas. Love Stark Vegas. Of course, Mississippi State. Uh, dating back to last fall with the passing passing of Mike Leach. That's a campus community that's had a lot been through a lot. And I so I'm happy for Mississippi State, you know, on their end. Um, but it's hard to see, you know, for TCU, the fact that they're already missing Lampkin. So he's their leading rebounder. Then your top scorer and Miles or a top scorer, I should say, Miles is is out and that, so that 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 hurts now in some ways it's a moral victory like i know most fans certainly a top 15 team in tcu you're not going to want to hear anything about a moral victory right but like to go to overtime against mississippi state uh, on the road uh mississippi state maybe was yeah you could pull a tape on me i could be off on this but i think at least in my head i gave some thought about picking mississippi state uh on on up on the upset you know one of those sec updates upsets going into this uh challenge weekend I didn't ultimately go with it because I I stuck by TCU because I I obviously picked Miles as a first team, yeah, like first well, team I, in uh, all American. With Miles but... healthy the whole game, I feel pretty confident that TCU would right. have won. So right, right. Oh no, I, I, no doubt. And the fact that they managed to get the regulation all tied up without Miles for vast majority of the game. I mean, Miles was hurt uh, less than four minutes in. So uh, this or fewer than four minutes in. So the, yeah, it, it's one of those. Like, this is more of a throwaway than a result than the Bama Oklahoma situation in my opinion like I Bama has a stronger season to date probably TCU plays in the strong, stronger conference so there are different big gives and takes but just the personnel wise yeah the Horned Frogs very uh, short-handed yeah for sure uh, and moving on uh Mizzou they uh crushed Iowa State at home which was a good win Iowa State was without Caleb Grill but that's that wasn't really a game changing move, I think, even though Grill probably would have made that a little closer. Mizzou just had a, a great game. They shot 14 of 30 from three, 
which is very impressive. And yeah, it was just a huge win. Um, they've been a little up and down recently after um, starting off like with after they got those wins over Illinois and Kentucky, they were like on top of the world. And they've been a little shaky lately, but this is definitely a huge win. It's going to be a Q1 win at the end of the season. Um, yeah, it was just a great win for the Tigers and exactly what they needed. I'm not really concerned about Iowa State. It, it, these games just happen. Yeah, how about Missouri, right? Like just outside the top 50 of Ken Palm at present. Uh, that's a team I'm now going to be watching way more closely uh, when you get closer to the SEC tournament and actually take a look at the teams who could come out of the SEC for the NCAA tournament because the top of the conference in the SEC, now, of course, my SEC, stand, my SEC standings don't want to refresh properly at the moment, but you have Alabama, that's a given. You have Tennessee. We just talked about, I talked about how much I like Tennessee. They're winners of four in a row as we record. Uh, you go from there, I think Missouri can jump Kentucky and Florida with the right, with the way they're playing. If they can carry this kind of momentum, Kobe Brown, if he keeps playing the way he did against Iowa State, 20 points for uh, Brown. Uh, DeMoy Hodge had 17 in the win over the Cyclones. So these these are guys who are, are all conference caliber. And uh, I, I I actually am kicking myself that I didn't give Missouri more respect. I know that they're sitting, well, after their win over Iowa State, they were still at 4-4 four and four in the SEC, but uh, there's room to grow there. Uh, so maybe buy low on them, but maybe again, maybe this is we. I like to underreact to uh, ranked teams losing and overreact to unranked teams winning. So that's I guess that's the way to everybody gets everybody gets credit. But uh, and I think there are some numbers that back that up here in this case with the Tigers. Yeah, I mean, uh, speaking about Caleb Grill, I would say definitely could have used him as he is playing versus Texas Tech as we speak, and he is currently six of seven from three in this game. So he's been playing very well tonight. Um. Not that he would have necessarily right. done that against Missouri, but yeah, Missouri probably would have right, right would provide some more sturdier uh, defense there. But I guess, I guess Missouri. How do how do they compare to Oklahoma in your eyes? Like I know it's kind of a random comparison, but obviously two big wins for each of, or a big win for each of those schools. Uh, do you like? Do we feel a little more strongly about Mizzou being at, at a minimum nit bound or? Yeah, they, I think uh, I think Mizzou would be in the field for me right now. As like maybe in like the uh eight nine ten range, and Oklahoma would be like a uh maybe like a two seed in NIT. Now I am not a bracketologist, so I don't necessarily um I don't have all like the metrics and stuff like explaining my reasoning. That's what I feel like right now, and I feel like just that's just what I've seen from um, other people that are bracketologists. So, yeah, Mizzou, Mizzou is definitely a safer bet to make term as of today. But obviously, Oklahoma has so many opportunities in the Big 12, they could work their way in. But moving on, um, Florida, Florida played at Kansas State, which was a huge storyline because it was... Keontae Johnson playing his old team. Obviously, he started out of Florida. He collapsed on the courts in one of the first games of the uh, 2020-21 uh, season. He had not played since then. And uh, interesting, like, I just want to, like, throw this in. Like, he would probably still be at Florida right now if they had cleared him. 
Um, but they obviously did not. He had to find a school that would clear him, which was not easy. Some schools, I think like USC and Nebraska, would not clear him that he was heavily interested in going to. But obviously he found a place where he could flourish, which he is absolutely doing. And this, uh, from a game perspective, this game was kind of boring. K-State just kind of jumped out to like a 15-point lead early on and kind of kept it there the whole game. So there wasn't like a very exciting game, but it was just interesting seeing Keontae against his former team. I remember like you could tell he really won that. His shooting percentages were not great, but he was definitely going for it. Uh, I remember one fast break he had in the second half. He just like, he had the ball alone, tried to go for a windmill dunk and just hit the front of the rim, which was pretty funny. But um, uh, I also saw a video of the handshake line after that where he was like uh, doing his own handshakes with the players that he was formerly teammates with, which was definitely a cool sight to see. So what yeah. are your uh, thoughts on this whole Keontae situation? I think that was a highlight there at the end, honestly. Like, you touched on the game itself. Not a snoozer because all the all the all the storylines going in, but the the highlight of the game was post game there to see that. Uh, really nice to see for Keontae. I, I I with everything that went into you know the uh, certainly at the end of his Florida career, it's not even about basketball. It's just like you're thinking about the health of his health and all and everything that goes into that. And to see his resurgence at Kansas State and he found a home, it uh, had to be a stressful time knowing he wanted to keep playing basketball and just needed to find a, the spot that felt comfortable of uh, verifying the fact that he could hit the floor again. And that was Kansas State. And I'm we, we talked about Kansas State in a prior episode or two uh, and, and how Keontae Johnson's played a role in that program's uh, ascension this season. And I can totally understand, uh, you know, I'm not going to look too with too much scrutiny at those field goal percentages because you're so fired up. There's so many emotions uh, when you're playing a bunch of former teammates in the, in your in your initial program. So in a rematch that you know, I don't know that Keontae Johnson knew he was going to get. I guess I don't know how far in advance the SEC challenge was scheduled out uh, for these Big Twelve schools because I I, don't, I, don't, I guess it's it's really moot, you know, whether Johnson knew at the time that he had to K State that he was going to get this chance against Florida. But regardless of whether how far ahead you knew it ahead of time, you knew this was coming. Uh, it's still I'm sure the most most is running so high that you write a little bit of a pass for, you know, that, that windmill moment. It's just totally understandable for a guy who's uh, certainly had the experiences of very few in the sport. So uh, yeah, that was really nice to see the post game. moment. I think that was more than anything, the biggest thing to point out in this one. Yeah. So <clears throat> yeah, it was definitely a, a great moment to see at the end of the game and to uh, put a wrap on the big 12 SEC challenge, big 12, one, seven to three. It just proved again why they're the best conference in college basketball. I mean, that really didn't, there was really no debates about that, but they just enforced that again against a uh, SEC that has been a little disappointing relative to expectations, but has, um, they, they still have some very solid teams for sure. So moving on, Charleston has lost a game, and I'm going to let you take the lead on this one. Charleston falls. They lose. We have to take a victory lap real briefly back to SEC Big 12. One victory lap for the fact that I think you and I predicted correctly about seven or eight wins for the Big 12, and they picked up seven wins uh, in the challenge. But now on Charleston, that's another victory lap for us because you and I targeted. We said, hey, Hofstra is really that game. I think even though it's at home, you know, most casual observers, I say casual observers because I'm right there in the thick of things in the CEA. So I say, hey, 
Uh, very, very not casual when it comes to CA. I, I know Hofstra uh, is a program that's really right there with Charleston in terms of they can go blow for blow with them on offense. Aaron Estrada finally getting some national recognition this week. Uh, so I, I, I guess I take my own personal lap on that because I had him as the second teamer in All-Americans on our podcast. But uh, Hofstra, they're, they're a conference championship level team in the CEA, and they just demonstrated that at Charleston. Uh, it's not, I don't know if it was necessarily a matter of Charleston succumbing to all of the weight and pressure of just the winning streak and all the hype that they're experiencing in the city. Certainly they're getting great support and will continue to this season. But uh, I guess it might not be so much that as much as I give a lot of credit to Hofstra. I give a ton of credit to Hofstra. You look at the box score, 25 from Estrada. That's going to be a big part of their formula. Uh, Darlinston Dubar had 18. Uh, Juan Carlos with 15. So they, they, they're stacked with, I mean, Tyler Thomas, he was a good transfer from Hofstra entering the season. He had 17. So th- this is a Hofstra team that's filled with all conference kind of scores. And Charleston has had a lot of guys who have come on quickly and maybe caught some people by surprise. But really, Hofstra is the program that's going back to Joe Mahalik's head coaching days year by year, been very good. So this was an upset, but for me, it wasn't so much. I think, Austin, for you, the same way, it wasn't so much an upset because you'd been saying, Hey, like we we gotta include Charleston among our top mid majors, but I do we really think they're an FAU type? Do we really think they're a St. Mary's type? Not necessarily. And I think Hoster would give uh St. Mary's a pretty good game. That might be giving big and being a little bit aggressive, but I think Hoster is one of those offenses that can just get in a scoring match with anybody or most teams in the nation. So uh, Charleston, they'll be there. They'll, they're certainly going to be a betting favorite to win the CEA still. But Hofstra, they, I, I think Hofstra finally woke folks up because they, they can play this way. I mean, look at the team stats. What was what was Hofstra's field goal percentage? They ended up shooting fifty percent all day from the field. So that, not, I don't mean fifty percent steadily all day long. I mean for the game, they shot fifty percent, and that's what they're capable of. Well, uh, one note that I want to have is you said that Hofstra could possibly compete with St. Mary's. The teams that yes. should play this year and St. Mary's won by 28. So I on, on a, in a future meeting in a future meeting. I know that this year that was the very beginning of the season. That was the very beginning of the season. Um, uh, that I th- was, I think oh, I still in- take the uh, Gales to win big, <laughs> but I, I, I do think that Hofstra met them again. It would be a better, it would be a better game. I really yeah, do. It, it Hofstra, probably would be closer. It would, it would be closer. Like I, I, I think Charleston would lose by more than 28 to not Mount St. Gus, Mount St. Mary's. That would be terrible. That would be a bad game. St. Mary's, uh, yes, there is a prior result that you should point out. You should call me out on. But Hofstra, I am still kind of like, I, I wonder, what are some other win major results for Hofstra? They beat Princeton. It's a pretty good win. I think that's Q2 if it stays there. Uh, at Purdue, they got to play. That, not that that was close. Uh, yeah, so not, yeah, I guess St. Mary's is really one of their few high-level games. They beat Iona. As well, yeah, so okay, one okay. at San Jose State, not bad. Like they beat UNC Greensboro and Quinnipiac, both neutral, both solid. So I mean, they have a solid resume. All right, so reaching a little bit with St. Mary's, you just got <laughs> by a little bit, yeah, yeah. But, but I now mean, I want to turn it over to you, Hofstra, Charleston. I saw, taking St. Mary's out of it for for a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hofstra is solid, as we talked about, but. We're not talking about this game because of Hofstra. We're talking about this game because of Charleston, because of their loss. And I mean, I I think it's kind of glad I'm kind of glad that Charleston's finally unranked in the AP poll because I mean I was starting to kind of dislike Charleston almost because the uh, AP poll and like casuals thought they were better than they actually were. Like because personally, I like a mid uh, major team like this. It's great coach obviously pat kelsey's a tremendous coach 
there's a they have a fun team like a lot of the guys i like but i just can't couldn't stand like the media and everyone was hyping them up to more than they were going to be so i think this is a good uh reality check that they're not uh invincible and but going back to Hofstra, Aaron Estrada Aaron Estrada scored 40 points in their uh last game before this against Elon he came out firing he had 23 points in the first half didn't do much in the second half but that's when uh Darlingstone Dubar kind of took over instead and yeah good win for Hofstra but where do where do we put Charleston after this loss? Are they still where? What's your uh, reaction considering Charleston? Uh, I'd be surprised if Charleston loses any more than one CAA game after this. I think this will renew a fire under them. I mean, not that Hofstra isn't easily a top three team in the CAA. So I, it, they're they're the t- a tougher test than most of the teams are going to end up seeing in the Colonial, but. Uh, Charleston, they play at Delaware. They host. No, they also they also travel to Drexel. I believe Charleston and Drexel coming right up this week uh, with a refresh of the CA standings. That is uh, Thursday of this week, the 2nd of February. So I think really in the near term, Charleston has a pair of its tougher games uh, that they get on the road. They do still have home games against Towson and UNCW. Towson and UNCW are favorable games to get at home. I think at a, in terms of the upper half of the CEA, you want those two at home and you, you'll you take Drexel and Delaware on the road in terms of those more mid-middle-level conference teams. So uh, Charleston, the schedule shakes out to the point where I could see them losing one of those games, UNCW or Towson. Uh, Drexel or Delaware, maybe one of those two plays them competitively for a, a little over a half uh, or more. But yeah, I think I, Charleston is going to be just fine within the conference. Though nationally, they're gonna they're not going to have a good easy time recovering from this loss. Uh, they just outside the top twenty five this week. I don't. I guess there's a path back in, but they need help. They would need help from other teams, uh, and I guess they would also need the help of Hofstra winning, so that Hofstra has that sustained respect. And one last note on Hofstra with my blunder about forgetting the met, the met, honestly forgetting the St. Mary's result. Hofstra in that game at St. Mary's shot one of sixteen from three and committed sixteen turnovers. So. Credit St. Mary's for taking the ball away, but I don't think Hofstra's going to shoot that poorly against St. Mary's in my hypothetical rematch. Yeah, uh, for sure. And obviously St. Mary's does have an an amazing defense, so that definitely played a little bit of a factor into it. That that wasn't completely a fluke, but I think Hofstra would definitely shoot better than that in a rematch. But I, I'd still take St. Mary's pretty comfortably. Oh, no. Yeah, you need to. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. St. Mary's is like a legit, like, top 15 team in the country, in my opinion. Hofstra's just kind of a fun major, like, maybe top 100, borderline. So, but. yeah, it's no guarantee. I mean, Hofstra, they could they could be bouncing the CA semifinals and it wouldn't, like, it wouldn't be totally shocking, right? Like, mm-hmm. so moving on, did you see this? Uh, at the Duquesne versus Loyola game, some uh, guy filming a YouTube video or doing a YouTube prank, like, walked on the court with a McDonald's bag, and, like, it was, like, kind of in the middle of the action. Like, he was, like, a foot away from the live ball. So that was that was interesting to see. Um, that definitely uh, raises some questions about Duquesne's security. Like, and they just kind of... No one really stopped him before he walked on the court, which was a little interesting. But 
I think it was still uh, kind of funny either way. I found a YouTube video on that. It wasn't very good, if I'm being honest. But it was still uh, kind of funny. But this probably shouldn't be happening at college basketball games. And uh, I'm a little concerned uh, about the security. But I feel like, uh, especially at Duquesne, security efforts will probably be made sure to make sure people don't just walk on the court like this again. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but at the same time, I I just thought this this was so funny, and I, nobody got hurt. Fortunately, like if somebody got hurt, I, it is like most importantly, it's a safety risk to the guys on the floor. So like it, at that point, it's something to take seriously. But at the same time, fortunately, none of that occurred. He was recognized as being on the floor, and you know that's kind of that is a trespassing situation legally. You get him off the floor. Uh, but I I was amused. I you know it's a random regular season game. You don't want you don't want to minimize it. Uh, but it, fortunately, uh, it was taken care of quickly. Uh, I honestly with this podcast platform i don't mean to encourage anybody to follow suit uh if you're at your local college basketball game remain <laughs> remain where you remain in the fans area preferably uh please and thanks but uh no nah, i mean i'm not going to totally rain on this pranksters parade it's one of those things you know people are going to do things for the internet sometimes but uh it, it, it honestly it made me chuckle a little bit like i'm not i can't pretend here and say it wasn't it wasn't humorous i felt like kind of a jadeon moment like i i enjoyed jadeon uh, you know, he obviously he's the big TikTok prankster and on YouTube and everything. And he, wait, what was he getting a haircut and then at an NBA game courtside getting shaved up? Like that's that's funny because that's what pranksters I think need to be doing, right? Is at a college, bring that to college basketball, get that going on in the student section sometime because that's happening in the fans area, totally not on the court, doesn't really pose a safety risk for the players. So I think that's the happy happy medium we can find. But no, this was a funny moment, and uh, certainly it gave uh, it gave all the all of our friends in the college basketball social media space some things to reshare and make make talks about themselves. Yeah, it was funny. I've seen this uh, prank play out at like high school games before. I've never seen it at a college level, which was yeah, it was definitely. Uh, it's shocking to me pretty- that so did 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 you read up? Was there an article about this at all that helped explain that? Like, did the guy, the prankster, end up? Did he just enter the arena? Like, did he have a ticket for this? And he I mean, just had I, yeah, them? I think he just like. Because obviously it wasn't a real order. It was just uh, right for the prank. See, at I first I just... thought it was real. He got me. Like at first I thought it was a real <laughs> order. Like because he had the bag and everything. I was totally gullible in that. <laughs> yeah. Well, another uh, interesting note is I'm pretty sure uh, Duquesne went on a 35 to 18 run to end the game after this, and they were like down by a few. So <laughs> I saw I throw it in there. I mean. Maybe it worked out in their favor. It was just some home court uh, advantage, I guess you could call it. Oh, are you gonna make it a tradition? Are they gonna <laughs> now Duquesne? If they're now, they have to be very careful because, like I said, you don't necessarily promote, encourage people to do this in the future. Uh, but if they make this like some kind of like, I don't know, if they make a meme, they could make a meme out of it. You know, Duquesne, they could, they could, uh, they could definitely <laughs> have a little stat come back since the, the food delivery on in game. You know that <laughs> our point margin after a food delivery that that's gonna be one that not other schools can say. Yeah, anyway, another interesting fact about college basketball is the uh, every team now has one win and one loss, so the transitive property, the uh, circle of suck, as I've seen it called in uh, some Twitter graphics, it has been complete, so by the transitive property, every college basketball team is now better than every other college basketball team, which uh, can definitely be used in some arguments. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah but i think that just goes to show that there's just so much uh parody in college basketball this year obviously not just because of this uh one stab but it just that just goes to show you that 
I mean, obviously anyone can't really actually beat anyone, but it just kind of shows like some crazy results happen and anything can happen in college basketball. There's no doubt. I think we're right on schedule for this circle of suck to be completed by the end of January. I mean, that's it's. I think we're right on time. It's it's always a nice. It's very very visually pleasing to see. You can track your favorite schools, see where they fit in the overall picture. It's very it's very uh very visually pleasing and very reassuring that you can uh, find a way to make any irrational argument that you that you please. Yeah, for sure. And we've been going for a while on this podcast, and we still have a lot of topics left. So. We will try to move through the rest of this quickly, but we still do have lots to talk about. And some headlines from the Big Ten over the past week. Zach Eady is the National Player of the Year, no doubt about it. He is he is amazing. He had 38-13 and 13 in a win over Michigan State, which Purdue kind of controlled the whole game as well. And also, Purdue has kind of like established himself as a unanimous one after Alabama losing, Houston losing. Like, they're just kind of in a category of their own. Like, I definitely still have some questions that their backcourt is built up a freshman. But at the same time, like, those freshmen don't look like freshmen and how they play on the court. But, like, Purdue has just been clicking. Zach Eady is amazing. Yep, you can absolutely hammer ED for player of the year, and you can hammer Purdue as a one seed because I don't see a way that they fall out of a top four by March. Now, that could, I guess, come back to bite me as a soundbite, but I, it's hard to picture it because the way Purdue is playing, like you said, really a league of their own. Yeah, for sure. And another team that has been playing very good is Indiana. Like, a few weeks ago, we were talking about Indiana. Like, like are they even going to make the tournament? And... Trace Jackson Davis, he must have heard that because he has been playing amazing lately. He is the reason they have been winning. Um, what have they won? Like five straight, I want to say, or something like that. But they are on fire now. Trace has been playing amazing. Jalen Hood Shafino has also been putting together some amazing games. Like the the game against Ohio State the other day, he was just on fire in the first half of that game. Indiana has been playing. They're back in the AP Top 25. They're kind of back to playing how we uh, saw them preseason, which is definitely a good thing for that program. It's definitely one of the best uh, environments in college basketball, Um, at least when there's not chunks of metal falling on the court. Did you see that? Yeah. So. um, Yes, I did. Yeah, that was... I'm glad nobody was hurt there. Very similarly to Duquesne, glad nobody was hurt. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what are your thoughts on uh, how the Hoosiers have been playing lately? Indiana, what do I love this as like a bit of a mini turnaround within the span of our podcast. They were blown out by Kansas in non-conference in December. They they start the Big Ten schedule by losing a tight to Iowa and tight to Northwestern consecutively. It's a combined three points between those losses, if I'm adding all those up, and they lose to Penn State. So you're, you're skidding. You, you pick, you, after that, you get a ranked win against Wisconsin. Things are looking up. Beat Illinois handily. Beat Michigan State handily. And that, I, I was wondering, okay, how sustainable is that? Well, they go ahead and now most recently beating Ohio State by double digits. Uh, in Bloomington, defending home floor against a you know a classic Big Ten rival. That it, it really is. It really is the story of Indiana clicking it in all the right ways and on on time prior to playing Purdue. Because if you had asked how Indiana was going to fare against Purdue in, back in December, I don't know that we would have said 
that Indiana might cover, I don't know, like maybe maybe they wouldn't have covered a 10-point spread necessarily, right? But now I think they could make uh, Purdue a respectable final score. Uh, you get Michigan later to come up. So uh, similarly to how I was looking forward to Missouri, I think Missouri and Indiana, I kind of have similar vibes about right now where I look forward to seeing their tests against uh, multiple times against the top of their conference or upper half teams in their conference at least. Uh, because Indiana, it's a whole new trajectory. This is one of those things. Are you going to be in your position to play your best basketball in February? And the Hoosiers fit that mold right now. Yeah, for sure. They've been playing amazing. A game versus uh, Purdue at home coming up soon, which is definitely one of the best games that we will talk about in our featured games of the week to watch in just a few minutes. But another thing is Northwestern. Uh, they are, I believe last time I checked, they are in sole possession of second place in the conference. They're six and three, obviously a few games back of first, which is Purdue, but like Northwestern, like they've been, they've been good, which is not necessarily something that like Northwestern has not been a very good basketball program. And also like, this is a huge year for Chris Collins, like being on the hot seat there. Like he obviously had that one uh, year where he got to the tournament, but like, besides that, it hasn't been also great in Evanston, but I think he uh, may be saving his job this year. And do you think Northwestern will ultimately make the tournament? Huh? Well, as I love to do, as we get into, as we get that much closer to our game preview segment of the, of the show, I, I always like give away some of the games we're going to talk about, like I just did with Indiana Purdue, because I'm looking ahead to these future games on the slate and see what is the likelihood of being in good tournament positioning. There are a bunch of tough games coming up for Northwestern. So as much as I want to say Chase Adage is going to keep at it for Northwestern, and he, and he will. I mean, he's averaging just under 16 a game. Uh, he got are five games in a row that I they're going to be a gauntlet coming up Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Purdue, Indiana in that order for Northwestern. So that and it eases up again in the in the they they after that stretch it starts to more get to more level out kind of style of playing the Big Ten. But that that run like you you could have four, three or four losses in there. Uh, so I'm going to hold on Northwestern. I'm going to say please hold and get back to me after we play a couple of those games. Uh, against those marquee opponents because uh, Northwestern, although it's well-positioned at the moment and it has a ranked win over Michigan State from December, uh, it, it lost tight to Auburn. I don't know how what to make of such a extreme stretch of games in the Big Ten coming up for them. Yeah, for sure. And like the whole, uh, their whole schedule from now on is really kind of tough. They don't play uh, any more games against Nebraska or Minnesota. So no like free games left on their schedule. Um for Ken Palm, the highest win percentage in any game they have left is 70%, which is Michigan. So like every game is just like they're obviously kind of on the bubble right now, maybe slightly in, but like there's gonna be no doubts or questions about where this team will stand after this after this gauntlet of a schedule they have to remain the remainder of the season, they're either going to be positioners themselves in or position themselves out. And I'm a little concerned because I feel like the talent still isn't like super there. Obviously, Adige has been great this season after a uh, 
moderately disappointing last season, but he's been great. Northwestern has definitely exceeded expectations. Um, so yeah, I I kind of want to see him make the tournament because I obviously like seeing teams that aren't there all the time in instead of the usual favorites always being in. But I don't know. I guess I'll just have to see it play out. Like I'm not super high Northwestern, but I obviously I also wouldn't have projected them to be six and three in the Big Ten to this time. So yeah, um, another thing that I want to touch on is Patrick McCaffrey is back for Iowa. We love to see that he took some games away, focusing on his mental health, and he returned yesterday in their win over Rutgers at home. He, let's see, I think I believe he had nine points in that game. He was three of three from downtown, only played 13 minutes, so it's not like he's fully in rotation as like what he was before. But it's definitely a good sight, obviously, just to see him back in general because you obviously don't like to see people uh, struggling with their mental health, and that's good that he is uh, doing better with that. And it's also good for Iowa because they're in kind of in that position that they need to win some games right now, and he is definitely a very good player that they could, they will definitely need to have as they close down their last uh, month or so of stretch of games to secure a tournament bid. I'm with you on all of the above. I look back all the way, just taking a look at Iowa as a team for a moment. I look all the way back to when they beat Indiana by two, and that was without Patrick McCaffrey. So this is just, this is nice to see all the way around. Iowa, I, I, I kind of been overlooking in the Big Ten picture, I think, overall. But this is a storyline that kind of puts them, I think, back in the fold a little bit. Uh, if they get you know, they get the quality wins down the stretch, they improve, of course, their Big Ten tourney seeding positioning. You want to, you just want to avoid either getting running into a Purdue or having another match with Indiana early in that Big Ten bracket if you, or as much as you can help it. Uh, but to have a very important game coming up against Northwestern, which will be in our game previews, uh, this is good timing all the way around for the Hawkeyes. Yeah, for sure. And let's see. The other Big Ten thing that I want to talk about is Michigan just got destroyed by Penn State the other day. The uh, final score of that game was, let's see, what was it? It was 83-61, Penn State won at home versus Michigan. That was a very concerning result for Michigan, especially that they kind of need to. They're kind of on the bubble, but kind of like not in the bubble. They're kind of playing themselves completely out of the tournament. This was not an encouraging result that would uh, lead me to believe they will get back into discussion. Um, Penn State needed that win, which was huge for Penn State. But what are your thoughts on Michigan? It's just a disaster right now. Yeah, not a good day for Michigan against the Nittany Lions, allowing Penn State to shoot over 50% from the field as a team. Uh, Michigan was also out-rebounded 36-27, so just didn't have the hustle really in any way on defense. Uh, 20 assists by Penn State. I mean, it's just a team moving the ball and shooting the ball quite well. Turnover margin was close, but as I look at you know, all these stats, I commonly look at in 
games that just aren't close. I mean, largest lead by Penn State, 32. This just got out of hand on the road. Uh, that can happen against a quality Big Ten opponent, but if Michigan expects to be in the NCAA tournament, it definitely does raise a red flag. Uh, Michigan, when I look at their statistics overall, Hunter Dickinson leading the team at point seventeen dot seven a game at center. Well, that's still a lot of confidence there, but um, I I don't think the Michigan is necessarily going to be a good bet to make the NCAA tournament at this point, the way it all projects out. Certainly could wind up being a, a high seed in the NIT, but the schedule, how forgiving is it? You finish the year all the way in the regular season with Indiana. Actually, as a matter of fact, you have both games against Indiana remaining. You have two games against Wisconsin left, uh, and Wisconsin – I don't know. What, I, I, I give credit. Like I included Wisconsin in talking about a gauntlet for Northwestern earlier. I probably giving them a little bit too much credit, but it's still, there's still two games you have to play against. Not a, not a bottom dweller. So I look at that as well. Um, there's one game against Nebraska. So that's a, that's a get, that's a get one, but it, it is, it does feel fringe. I think your assessment is right. It feels a little bit fringe for Michigan. Yeah, for sure. And uh, moving on to the uh, big East, they've had some headlines. The, uh, First notable one is Justin Moore is back at Villanova, which was a good sight to see. He obviously had an, a, a an Achilles injury in the Elite Eight last year. Um, good to see him back, but they still lost to Providence at home with him, which Providence is a respectable team, but it's kind of just show me that Villanova will not be some magical team even with him. Um, I think they've kind of burned their uh, NCAA tournament hopes. Um, definitely with them, there's obviously always a chance that they could go on some miraculous run in the conference tournament, which they definitely have the talent to hypothetically be able to do that. But it's good to see him back. But I uh, this doesn't change uh, Villanova's season in a huge way. They're obviously better with him, but they're not good enough with him that they can just be this amazing team. No. I'm with you once again. Uh I I guess the upside is you get him in time to face Marquette and Creighton in consecutive games. That that's that's gonna be very difficult. Uh that could have gotten ugly without him. It might still be it could easily still be an 0 for two trip. I mean that the odds say yes. Um, but at least like I, there are chances to get some notable games in here. Like if you get a team on the ropes, if you can get a Xavier, if you can get a Yukon uh, before the end of the regular season. That at least gives Villanova momentum going into the next season. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, you mentioned Villanova has at Marquette and at Creighton coming up next. I mean, like if they want to make any sort of statement, those will be the games to do it. Even with Justin Moore back, I don't see the Wildcats winning either of those games, but still definitely games to uh, watch and pay attention to. And another uh, speaking about Creighton. Creighton has uh, finally been like the team that people have thought they'd be when they were ranked top 10 early on. Even though people say they've been like a little disappointed this year, like they've moved up like 12 spots in Kenpon from the start of the year, which even though the record isn't pretty, I think goes to say that they haven't really been as bad as the record looks. I think they fully like established themselves like, I think they should be ranked in AP poll right now. They're just not because of their record, which I guess is how the AP poll does it. But I think they're definitely one of the best teams in the country and are 
have been showing it the past few days. They killed Xavier at home. They also killed St. John's, which is not like a super impressive win, but to win by like 30 against any respectable power conference opponent, still noteworthy. Um, so, yeah, I think Creighton, we can all say that Creighton is confidently back and they're in the hunt in the picks, uh, not out of the question that they could secure the Big East regular season title still. Yep, I I follow you on that. I think that in upcoming games against Georgetown and Nova, Creighton's going to want to score a bunch of style points because we, in order to overcome that overall record, which still has a little bit of that stigma to it, despite a good Big East record, I think you want it. You want to see him just make quick work of Georgetown and honestly also quick work of Villanova. So if that if that occurs, I mean you're going to get wins. I think above all else, but uh, if that occurs in particular, if you if you get him in comfortable fashion. Uh, you're that much more likely to uh, finally break back through with the uh, ranking-wise. Yeah, UConn, uh, they lost this week to Xavier at home, which was not any uh, terrible loss, but despite UConn losing um, six of their last eight games, their metrics are still, like, decent. They're six in Ken Palm. Um, Let's see, what are they in net? They are seventh in the net so um like their metrics still look fine i mean i don't want to touch on yukon for a ton considering i know we've touched on in previous episodes but that's just an interesting case of like where the metrics don't always line up with the uh record necessarily so i mean yukon's obviously really struggled lately but i think like like, make no mistake about it. At one point of the season, they were the best team in the country. And I feel like even though they've struggled lately, you, you can't take away that, like, at one point, they were truly the best team in the country. Um, What are your, I guess, do you have any quick thoughts on UConn? Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least UConn has shown that, demonstrated that potential uh, so that you know they have it in them. Uh, and conference play can do something to you, right? The Big East, we talk about the Big 12 a lot, but the Big East, I really like the very top of the Big East. Like it's, there aren't a lot, there aren't, there's not a lot of easy weeks uh, when you get to the, when you get to the top half of the Big East, that's for certain. Uh, not that that hasn't been the case for a little while now, but uh, I'm going to take real, obviously mini, mini victory lap on Xavier. I'm pretty sure I picked Xavier to beat UConn on the road, uh, but not rare that. victory for me. Rare W, what was that? You did pick it. I remember that because I, I did, remember I, I, pick I, that. I picked UConn yeah. that game. I was very hesitant, but I did pick UConn and you picked Xavier. So, so I'll there you go. to you on that one. That's the one time that's going to happen this season. So I had to, I had to take advantage, but I guess that, uh, that other way, well, no, we can't stop. We can't be, we're not away from the big East yet because you have one more note on the big East. Georgetown, they won a big East game, which doesn't happen very often. It's the first time it's happened since, uh, the 2021 season where they made the tournament off the uh, Miracle Big East tournament run. But since then, they did not win a Big East game until they finally beat DePaul. And if there was one game that they were going to win, that was going to be the game. But no, another side note, they almost beat St. John's at home. Or not at home, St. John's on the road. It's kind of home for Patrick Ewing at uh, the Garden. But... Um. Yeah. They. I mean. They finally won a game. They still need to fire Ewing, but it's still a uh, pretty noteworthy. Like it's kind of sad, and we have to uh, mention that they finally won a Big East game. But 
They did. And hey, I'll uh, tell you, uh, right. I'll tell you what, they, they showed progress and they, they were close in that game at Villanova. They ended up losing by four. Uh, they, they were, they actually lost by fewer points than I expected at Xavier following that loss at Nova. And then they, they, they take down to Paul, like <laughs> winning the, hitting the free throws. You had to hit late to get a W the attendance at Capital One Arena, still very depressing, but maybe this brings some breathe some life back in. And they they push St. John's too. So uh definitely glad that they glad for their sake, just for those guys that they got some positives in that right before they go through a they go through getting punched again in the big east. Because Creighton, Yukon, Providence, Marquette, Seton Hall, that whole run that I just said in the spew of one sentence is gonna be unforgiving. Yeah, another thing I'm looking at Georgetown schedule, and in early December they beat Siena, which like at the time was like okay, but like whatever. But like Siena's actually kind of good now, so that's kind uh, kind of surprised looking back into the Georgetown one night game. But not not touch on Georgetown for any longer. They they still suck, but <laughs> it's it's uh impressive that they finally won a Big East game, but a coaching change. Just no matter what happens the rest of the year, a coaching change needs to be made. And so, when it is, Pat Kelsey's name will be brought up, probably. I'm guessing. It, it will that, probably be bring up for Notre Dame. I thought about him for Notre Dame for a second, but I thought that was too soon. But for for Georgetown presidents, don't you think Kelsey? That's another episode. But I'm just I just talk, I'm just throwing that in out there. Yeah. Well, as a, as a ho- CEO, hopefully yeah. Georgetown will make a move this offseason. And when they do, we can talk about some of the candidates such as possibly Pat Kelsey or possibly Rick Pitino. I guess we will just see how that turns out when it does. And moving on, our final segment, uh, upcoming games to watch. We touched on this one a little bit before. We have Kansas State at Kansas playing um, on Tuesday, which will probably possibly be the day you're listening to this podcast. We are recording on Monday night, but the game is uh, Tuesday night. So I, I I personally think Kansas will win this game. After Kansas State won in Manhattan, there's no way Kansas is going to let this game drop as well. There's no way they're going to let them get swept by K-State. Even though K-State has had an amazing season, I am picking Kansas to split the season series here. Wise move, wise move. These teams are so closely matched that you'd have to think they're just destined for a split. Uh, so I like, I'm going to go with the Jayhawks as well, actually. Yep. Um, Providence uh, plays at Xavier on Wednesday, which is a good game at the top of the Big East. Let me pull up the Big East standings real quick. But yes, um, they're both nine and two. There's a three-way tie to top right now of nine and two teams with those two and Marquette's Creighton slightly back at seven and three. But the winner of this game will, um, let's see, does Marquette play? So yeah, Marquette does play uh, Villanova at home, which it will probably win. But so the winner of this game will be in a uh, probably only in a two-way tie for. First place in the Big East. So, and this will definitely uh, matter later down the season when it comes to seeding for conference tournaments. And it's, it's just an important game on your resume, too. It is, I'm picking Xavier pretty confidently. It's at Xavier. 
I think just this is just a game that like no matter what the home team is gonna win to a pretty evenly matched uh evenly talented teams you could say. So I'm just going with home team here, and I I'm a big Xavier fan this year with the pieces they have on their roster. I'm picking Xavier to win this one. All for one, one for all. I'm with the Musketeers as well at home. Yep. Um, Kansas plays at Iowa State on Saturday, and contrary to the game where I picked Kansas to beat K-State, I'm going with Iowa State. They do not lose at home. Man, we agree too much. Cyclones, Cyclones, baby. I mean, Kansas, I think Kansas is going to have to – they'll, they'll have poured everything they have into that win over K-State that we're project, projecting. So, therefore, Iowa State, knowing how big an opportunity this is with the Jayhawks back on the rise, uh, they they defend home court. Yeah. Yep. Um, Another game on Saturday that is a must-watch is Purdue at Indiana. That's a huge rivalry. Both teams are on fire right now. I am picking Purdue to uh, – win and uh cement their spot as number one team in the country but indiana they've been playing on fire lately and this should be a good game regardless of the result i'm picking purdue but i would not be surprised if indiana gives them a big run for their money yeah i i'm tempted i was thinking about it and as we were going i said yep yep i need to do this i'm gonna we've seen number one teams go down this season and and i i kick myself say hey i like I should I should have picked that one. I just, I'm gonna get an upset this sometime this season. So here's where I'm taking my upset. I'm I'm taking Indiana. Something about we saw Kansas State beat Kansas at home, and that that local rivalry flared. All it all came into a head in one game, and it it led to uh, what was at that time considered an upset. I think so. I like Indiana in this one. Give me give me give me the aggressive pick this time. All right, I, I respect it. Indiana's been playing very well lately. It's uh, a huge environment. It's a big rivalry game. And I believe Indiana beat Purdue last season in this game. Um, and Purdue was up there towards the top. Yes, they beat Purdue um, 68 to 65. Obviously, I think uh, I think Rob Finnessy hit a few huge shots. In that game, and he did like nothing the rest of the season. But yeah, it happened last season. Uh, I could definitely see it happening again. Going with Purdue. Moving on, another huge game in the Big Twelve. Texas plays at Kansas State. I am picking K State to complete the sweep over the Longhorns. But again, like Texas is a really good team. I could see them winning, but I'm sticking with the Wildcats. Kansas State off a projected loss at Kansas. Wildcats bounce back. Yep, and the game we have all been waiting for, especially mid-major fans, Gonzaga plays at St. Mary's on Saturday. Um, We've obviously talked in this podcast a few times about, like, is St. Mary's really the best team in the conference? Well, we will find out or at least have some more expanded knowledge into this. Um. I'm taking St. Mary's. They have been amazing lately. The other night, I don't know if you caught that game, but they were playing BYU. Aiden Mahaney hit a nice like turnaround mid-range shot with, I don't remember how many seconds there was, but there were not many seconds. It might have been like under a second left in the game. They were down one. Aiden Mahaney is, Aiden Mahaney is such a good freshman. He's going to be something special, but... Uh, and that is part of the reason why I am taking the Gales to beat these eggs. 
Good pick. Good pick. This is this is like game of the year type stuff. Uh, honestly, before St. Mary's even gets to Gonzaga, I could see San Francisco. I keep now St. Mary's people are gonna say like, "Wow, what is what is this kid talking about?" Like he earlier he goofed and he completely forgot about Hofstra the way they played already once this season. I still stand by the hypothetical about Hofstra, but I, I in a look ahead situation, honestly, even before St. Mary's gets to Gonzaga, I could see San Francisco, San Francisco making him sweat a little bit, you know, catching them a little bit, looking ahead to Gonzaga. But then once St. Mary's actually gets to this game against Gonzaga, they should they should win. This is a Gonzaga team that's that slipped up once this season, lost at LMU. Uh, or excuse me, lost hosting LMU. Uh, so when you get to, when you get St. Mary's hosting Gonzaga, the St. Mary the Gales need to need to defend home floor and need to actually assert their uh, WCC dominance this season. So uh, that it's it's something that's an imperative for them. They have to do it to earn their true national respect. Uh, they certainly get it from both of us if they do it as we predict. Because I'm I'm going to take St. Mary's as well. Yeah, obviously San Francisco is a solid team, but I don't. If that game was away, I'd maybe have a little concern. But that game is also at St. Mary's, so I don't really have too much concern about them dropping that game. Um, if there was a game I'd be concerned about, it would be next one at Loyola Marymount. But I guess we'll just see how that plays yeah. out. The I Eagles, mentioned LMU. We, we need to credit them. Like, speak about them a little yeah, more. They I did mean, They did beat Gonzaga. I mean, they've been great. If you uh, caught my article on the website, the most surprising team in each conference, LMU was the pick for the uh, West Coast Conference, so... It's another little article plug, but yes, I do have St. Mary's beating Gonzaga, but more than that, I just want a great game. I feel like that could be like a really classic game of the season, and I'm really interested to see how these two teams match up, having not faced each other yet, and they're both like just coming off like such different storylines this year, like Gonzaga's kind of been almost disappointing even though he's still been good in St. Mary's it's this uh analytical darling who has been playing great lately so I can't wait for this game all right so um any other topics you'd uh like to hit on before we call it a day well yeah we've, we've had we've had a marathon here in this episode I think so much happened we we had to squeeze in like a lot of coaching talk a lot of recruiting and a lot of continued chaos in, in terms of ranked teams losing and really good rankings coming up. So we had a lot to attend to tonight. We I'm glad we we did it this way. We had to make sure we hit all of our bases because once Fe- February is so close. February is such an underrated time of year. I think obviously it's huge for how everything checks out for postseason positioning. But everybody talk about March, you know, if you're if you're more of a casual fan. But we know Hoopscoop Media followers, you guys are very dedicated. And so February, such a good time of year. And so this is a great way to ring that in. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking about March, you always have those uh, small teams. And uh, in the short future, we will be doing an episode dedicated to the low major teams and conference winners that might come this week. It might come next week. It will be a two part episode. Uh, Just stay tuned because any uh, fans of the uh, smaller schools like I know, Dan, you're obviously a big mid-major guy. I love, I love mid-majors as well, so people like us will uh, really, really want to be uh, stay tuned into the uh, podcast and our updates because that will be coming soon. But, yeah, that's all I have. Have a good one, guys. Enjoy the great college basketball games that we have this week, and we will be back next week to talk again.